Welcome to episode 242 of Late Night Linux, recorded on the 14th of August, 2023. I'm Joe, and with me are Phelan. G'day. Will. Hello. And Alan or Popey, what are we calling you? Yes. <laughs> Hooray. Yes, so uh, Graham is off on his holidays, enjoying the sun, hopefully. So, yes, you've stood in. People may know you from such shows as Linux Matters, which they should definitely check out at linuxmatters.sh, because it's brilliant. Let's do some news then. The first is exciting us news, and that is that Two and a Half Admins is now part of the Late Night Linux family, finally. And I thought it already was. Mm. Yes, so did everyone else. And people kept asking me at least once a week, why isn't it part of the Late Night Linux family? And I didn't have an answer, and now I don't need an answer because it is. So the bottom line is now for your $10 on Patreon, you'll get two and a half admins, as well as all the other Late Night Linux family shows. And if you're not a patron, it is going to be in the all episodes feed from now on. So that's what you should get subscribed to, because then you can get all the great Late Night Linux family shows. Not suitable for families. <laughs> yes, ironically. Were Jim and Alan the last ones to find out that they were part of the family? <laughs> I particularly like to picture the moment when Alan found out that he was part of the late night Linux family. That's just quite nice. <laughs> he's a pragmatic chap who has some Linux boxes as well as BSD. I bet he's got more Windows ones. Probably, yes. Anyway, right, the real news then. The first is sad news. Bram Moolenar has died, the author of Vim, of course. And as Ars Technica describes him, the hero of many developers. It's a sad day. And it's relevant to, to people in the Linux community because those who have been around for a while will have at some point used Vim by accident and probably <laughs> it will have stuck with them. Like they, you know, you do that thing about learning how to use it a few times and there's always a almost guarantee that it is going to be on any box that you touch. Whether you installed it or not, it will be there. And having that skill of being able to use it was a kind of transferable skill. And I still use Vim today when I have to, and it's those things that I learned in the very, very early days that allow me to do that. So to learn of the passing of Bram is a, a bit of a sad day. Yeah, there's a few core utilities that I think you should expect to exist on most machines these days, Vim being one, others like Curl, and you can really associate many of these applications with an individual in the community, rightly or wrongly, mm. you can think of those people when you're using those utilities in the future. All right. Well, happier news. Prepare your Firefox desktop extension for the upcoming Android release. So Mozilla have said that they'll announce the timeline next month, and it should be by the end of the year, that proper desktop extensions will be supported on Firefox and Android. This is absolutely excellent news and exactly the kind of thing that Mozilla should be doing, as far as I'm concerned. Well done. Great timing as well with the work that Google seemed to be doing in removing ad blockers, or at least stopping ad blockers. I can imagine that on Android with the Chrome browser, ad blockers that work there will be a thing of the past pretty soon. So to learn that Firefox are doing it is great news. Do you think that might get them into a sticky wicket in app stores if the criteria for a browser being in an app store is changed to say you can't support ad blockers or something like that? Do you think, can you see a day where mm. Google's reach and Apple's reach prevents that kind of thing from happening? I don't think it'd be worth a backlash given the low market share of Firefox. Yeah, fair point. 
but maybe this will be enough to increase the market share because I'm getting a bit pissed off with Chrome generally. And Phelim, you've been happily using Firefox on your phone for ages because you can't really use anything else. <laughs> That's a mischaracterization there. <laughs> really? Well, try running Chrome on your de-Googled phone. Well, no, I just don't want to use Chrome. I could use a Chrome-based browser, I'm sure. I just prefer to use Firefox. I don't know. I think I kind of am the opposite of this. I don't really want or need any of my desktop extensions on my phone. But I mean, uh, that's not saying that other people don't. I'd just be kind of shocked what people would be using. I mean, all the ones I have are very, very developer specific or, you know, doing something special. Whereas on the phone, I just use it as a very simple browser. I can see a need for things like video downloaders, you know, those kind of extensions mm. where you're sat on a YouTube or Vimeo or something and there's a button on your desktop and you can just yoink the MP4 down. Would you do that on a phone though? Well, if that's your primary computing device, for sure. And if you're out and about and someone wants it, I can imagine on streaming services as well, like Spotify and the like. People often use extensions for yoinking audio out of streams and stuff. And I've had to do that for my daughter who wanted a piece of music for a dance recital and uh, she just needed the music to practice to. And uh, the only way to get it was to yoink it out of a stream. Oh, I hope you got your PRS license in order to do that Ooh. now, Alan. <laughs> yeah, sounds like you're breaking the law there. Am I allowed to say fuck that on this show? <laughs> oh, absolutely. In fact, it's encouraged. <laughs> excellent. <laughs> well, I think it's excellent news, and uh, I'm sure there'll be plenty of Monkey JPEGs download extensions as well. <laughs> Our new flagship distro, Fedora Asahi Remix. So, Asahi Linux, of course, is the distro for... M series Macs, I've heard them described. The M1 and M2 and maybe M3, whenever that comes out. The uh, the ARM Macs. And up until now, the flagship distro has been Arch, which is not the most user-friendly, let's just say. And coming soon, TM, Fedora is going to be the flagship distro. And this has come from Neil Gomper hassling them until they gave in by the sounds of things. And he says that KDE is going to be the flagship version and not GNOME. I am not even remotely surprised by that because Hector Martin has pretty much given the boot into GNOME a few times and sort of has always been a KDE user by the looks of it. So not shocked by that, to be honest. Yeah, and KDE is the default on Asahi Arch as well. So yeah, not at all a surprise. I can see the usefulness for this a bit further down the line. Like right now, I don't think I'd run it on an M1 Mac simply because there's just not enough stuff that works properly out of the box. And yeah. there's too many little bits of integration with the Apple hardware that aren't quite there. Later on down the line, maybe. But even even after some time, some of these laptops just never quite get it right. I had a uh, MacBook Pro some years ago. I think it was a 2010 MacBook Pro. And I could never quite get the touchpad working quite right. And the audio was never quite right. It never sounded as good as it did when macOS was installed. You know, I, I applaud them for the hardcore reverse engineering they're doing and the hardware enablement they're doing. But I'm a little skeptical that it'll ever be good enough for normies. Well, yeah, I agree. But when you're faced with the choice of either 
a macOS that is not getting updates anymore or a Linux that sort of doesn't work 100% but is getting security updates, that's when I'm going to make the switch, I think. Not being enough of an expert about the M series, as we're calling them, will the fact that firmware updates won't be included because they would obviously get pushed by macOS not be a downfall in that whole plan? I mean, great to get an OS upgrade, but if the underlying firmware is not there are you not just kind of open to every sort of processor attack that might exist and all the various, because they're quite heavily firmware reliant, I think, aren't they? Yeah, but that's the same on any old laptop that you've installed Linux on, isn't it? Well, you can get Intel firmware and AMD firmware from the Linux kernel. I don't think you're going to get Asahi firmware from Apple to upgrade via the Linux firmware, surely. I think you still need to have macOS on it do you not yeah you do what so you're talking about microcode yeah sorry microcode sorry firmware whatever right yeah yeah see I, I don't know that's the problem I think with this whole sort of way of I mean yes if you if it's all you've got and you want to keep using it or if you really love Linux and this is the way you want to do it fair enough but I just I still do worry that people are investing money in these when they may want to invest in a more FOSS friendly line if they could or want to I don't think it's necessarily for now. I think if you spin forward five years and there's schools giving away or offices giving away or selling cheap, you know, a hundred M1 laptops because they're all eight years old and out of uh, support from Apple, then that's hardware, which, you know, physically works and probably a replacement battery will, you know, make it spruced up and much like new. You want an operating system on there. I'm still pretty skeptical. I, I look forward to it and I really do hope, I wish them the best and I hope they can do all the ne- enablement possible on all of the devices. But just past experience shows that that doesn't happen. Yeah, it's a very difficult task. But Fedora seems to make a lot more sense to me than Arch. I'd much rather use Fedora than Arch, quite frankly. I mean, Ubuntu would be great, but Fedora I'll settle for. All right, it's the Groundhog Day of Ubuntu slash Linux stories. Rhino Linux makes rolling release Ubuntu reality. This just keeps coming back. First, it was Martin Wimpress, your co-host on Linux Matters, linuxmatters.sh. He made rolling Rhino, which was just a way to constantly stay on the development release of Ubuntu. And then there was rolling Rhino, and then they dropped that and made this new distro that's got nothing to do with martin anyway suffice to say they've got their first proper release and it's xfce based but with some other elements in it and i tried it out and it's it's fine it's fine apart from the fact that when i did some updates it wanted to pull the current kernel out it did warn me and said you probably don't want to do this and i didn't do it and it was fine but uh still seems a little bit rough around the edges let's just say yeah i tried it out in a vm today and uh, I found it interesting. It's it says it's built on Ubuntu, but it's it's deviated quite a bit from what I would call Ubuntu. You know, it's dev based, so you can use apt and dpackage, and they've they ship Nala, the pretty front end to apt as well. But they also ship with Packstall pre-installed, and one of the defaults is Flatpak is on by default and snap and app image support is not on by default you can flip a switch and turn it on but that's the defaults which a lot of people will accept and it ships with some interesting choices like xfce first of all and a crazy purple theme 
it doesn't look anything like Ubuntu. I get that people build stuff on top of Ubuntu and they make stuff that doesn't look like Ubuntu. I get that. But I really find it difficult to square that this is anything to do with Ubuntu other than a bit of Ubuntu in there. Plus, they've made some rather strange choices. They're using Calamaris as the installer, which I know some of the flavors use, but I found it incredibly slow. It doesn't R-sync to copy all the files onto the onto the hard drive, which took ages for me. And it also ships with the Ubuntu mainline kernel PPA enabled by default, which is completely unsupported. And so I would never recommend that people use that on a production system because you get no security updates, zero <laughs> security updates for those kernels at all. Does Snap even work with mainline kernel? Yeah, it does. Yeah. There's there's a lot of the Ubuntu patches and stuff that's in there and it's all supported. So, you know, all the Docker and stuff works fine. But you, if you ask for support, like on Ask Ubuntu or something, they'll just tell you to go away because <laughs> that's not a supported kernel. Mm. And the other thing is... The Packstall thing is a bit strange. It's trying to be a bit like Arch and having like the AUR with all these additional packages. But weirdly, one of the things they ship by default is VS Codium, the free no telemetry VS Code. And they use Packstall to do it. But all Packstall does is goes and gets the Deb. And it's like, <laughs> you've, it's just Debs, but with more steps. It, it makes no sense. I, I, I don't get it. And I, if, if I'd done it, I'd have made it stock Ubuntu. And I would certainly have not put the mainline kernel and Packstall on there by default. It seems a bit crazy, but it's not my project and they could do what they like with it. What I don't understand is the fact that it's the most rolling distro with the most unrolling desktop interface going. So, uh, <laughs> cool. Well, yeah, I kind of go both ways on that. What a shock. You like the, the XFCE, do you? <laughs> well, personally, yes, right? Personally, I like XFCE, although they made it unrecognizable with a weird plank dock and stuff didn't like that but from a sort of objective looking at what everyone else wants point of view i would say either gnome or plasma would make a lot more sense that's what um, i would have thought but yeah but then you think well if you are xfce based that doesn't change much so for a rolling release that sort of makes sense that it's not going to break but it's not going to change either <laughs> well yeah but your actual desktop environment won't change and won't break so I can see the logic of it. You're also, the packages you're getting from Ubuntu are delivered by the Ubuntu core developers and the wider community. And if they don't update something in the next release of Ubuntu that, that you're tracking with this rolling release, then you don't get any updates to that. It's not like Arch where it's really rolling and all it takes is some community person to update a bunch of libraries and bang, you get them. This is entirely dependent upon people who have access to the repositories, which I think is why they've added Packstall so that you can like circumvent the Ubuntu repositories. And then you get this Frankenbuntu thing that's kind of half Debs and half Packstall packages. And it just feels like it would end up being a bit of a mess. So what you're saying is make apps, not distros? Yes. Okay, this episode is sponsored by Factor. With the busy fall season just around the corner, you might be looking for wholesome, convenient meals for jam-packed days. Factor can help you fuel up fast with chef-prepared, dietitian-approved, ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You'll save time, eat well, and stay on track with your healthy lifestyle. Too busy running around during the day to think about lunch? Keep your energy up with Lunch To Go, effortless wholesome meals like grain bowls and salad toppers that are ready to eat when you're on the go. 
No microwave required. Round out your meal and replenish your snack supply with an assortment of more than 40 add-ons, including breakfast items like delicious apple cinnamon pancakes, bacon and cheddar egg bites, and potato bacon and egg breakfast skillet. My two and a half admins co-host Jim tried Factor and said the meals were quick and easy to prepare and liked that there was plenty of variety. So support the show and go to factormeals.com slash late night Linux 50 and use code late night Linux 50 to get 50% off. That's code late night Linux 50 at factormeals.com slash late night Linux 50 to get 50% off. On to a bit of admin then. First of all, just a quick thank you to everyone who supports us with PayPal and Patreon. We really do appreciate that. If you want to join those people, you can go to latenightlinux.com slash support. And for various amounts on Patreon, you can get an advert-free RSS feed of either just this show or all the shows in the Late Night Linux family. And if you want to get in contact with us, you can email show at latenightlinux.com. All right, a quick update on the LexD situation. We speculated that it might get forked. Well, it has been forked, and now it's called Incus. Although it wasn't Stefan who forked it, although he is involved and helping out. Yeah, it was a member of the LexD community who decided to fork it, call it Incus, and then Stefan and uh, Christian and some other people have joined in to do the rename and rip out some of the functionality that was in there that was added when it was a canonical project. So, for example, it doesn't build a snap of LexD or Incus anymore and some other changes that were ripped out that were dependent upon some very canonical specific technologies. I'm interested in this because I am a big fan of LexD and I've used LexD for years and years and I love Stefan's work. And so I would like to continue using it. And I actually don't really like the fact that LexD is a snap. I would really rather use a traditional deb package. And yeah, there are ways to go off piste and get a deb of LexD, but I'd like to get something that's supported by the upstream developers. So I'm going to look forward to in some months when there's a a full release of Incus that I can apt install or deb get or whatever. All right, a bit of drama with Mock, M-O-Q. The developer, you might argue, snuck in SponsorLink, which is a bit of proprietary software that gathers some data and sends it off to places. And uh, the community is up in arms about it. No, no, you see, what they did was nobody was responding to his request for comment, so he put this in as a controversial way to spur conversation, (laughs) is the story he's sticking to after the fact. I think this goes back to a topic that gets talked about a lot in the Linux community, which is people not getting paid for the work they're doing on open source software. And so he developed SponsorLink. It's one of his projects. And the idea is that when a developer is using a piece of software, when they're sat in a text editor and they're using a particular library, the library maintainer can pop a little notification up in some way in the editor that says, hey, you're using this thing. I noticed that you're not a sponsor of my project on GitHub. And that's what this sponsor link does. It enables the library developer to determine that the developer isn't a sponsor and then nudge them. And the way that it nudges them is it pauses the build. And so you're (laughs) sat in your text editor, like VS Code or whatever, and you're building something which depends on mock and mock pulls in this sponsor link and it it grubs through your github email address hashes it base 64 encodes it 
and then tries to correlate with other base64 encoded hashed email addresses who have sponsored it before and so that's how he tells if you've sponsored the project if you have it's like thanks and the build continues but if you haven't then it waits a number of seconds to try and nudge you much like shareware used to do in the 1990s (laughs) that would pop up a box and say you can't close me until you wait 30 seconds but if you pay put your credit card in here you know it's it's that kind of vibe nagware yeah and people didn't like it um i think there was a bit of an overreaction to this because people thought that it would pause their builds in ci and stuff and it doesn't it detects that you're running in a text editor and only does it only does the pausing to punch the actual developer in the face and say, hey, you should sponsor this thing. But still, I think it was the way that they went around this, that they landed it, and the sponsor link was proprietary. So they open-sourced it, and they removed it, maybe temporarily, maybe permanently, and started this discussion, like you said, Phelim, about how do I get funded for the work I do? It'd be really nice if you could sponsor this project. (laughs) I can see the the logic why they did it, but I just think it was super clumsy. Rainbow tables for 256 SHA, anybody? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think this is a story that we will continue to see over the coming months and years until there is a solution, as Popey says, a solution to ways of paying developers. People are going to keep making these decisions. They make them knowing that there will be a backlash. Nobody in the open source community cannot have noticed a time at which somebody has done something like this and it's caused a massive outrage. And the old saying about there's no such thing as bad publicity applies here, I think. We're talking about it. It probably hit the front page of Hacker News. Now a whole bunch more people are aware of Mock and of SponsorLink. So, I, yeah, I, I, I see why it happened. I think we'll see it again and again and again. I thought you solved that problem last week or something. Was it not two weeks uh, ago, maybe? Yeah, I see? forgot now. Ah. Did it involve crypto? Yeah, that sounds like something I would say. Yeah. <laughs> CIQ, Oracle, and SUSE create Open Enterprise Linux Association for a collaborative and open future. So this is the dregs of the rail downstream, the rail <laughs> rebuilders. You should work at marketing. I really should, shouldn't I? But it's them getting together and saying, like, no, we're going to do it anyway. We don't care what you say. Unlike Alma, who were quite reasonable about it, I think, and just gave in, just acquiesced and said, all right, well, we can't do what we were doing, so we'll do something similar. And I saw today them posting about how they are getting ahead of security updates now that they can, now that they don't have to track the rel release one for one. And, you know, I think that, Alma made the best of a really shit situation. Whereas, I mean, fucking hell, man. <laughs> if you are SUSE and CIQ, I mean, I don't, I've heard people talk shit about CIQ. Uh, the jury's out for them. I don't know. But like, if you're getting in bed with Oracle, like at some point, it's that Michelin web sketch. <laughs> like, you look at the skulls <laughs> on your hats. Like, are we the baddies? <laughs> and yeah, maybe you should think twice about teaming up with fucking Oracle, man. I know it's fun to poke fun at Oracle, and I've certainly done that in the past. But they are a big software company with a lot of customers who pay them lots of money. And I'm sure some of those customers would quite happily wipe Red Hat off of their systems and put 
Oracle or something that Oracle is involved in on their servers in order to shrink their outgoings, just like everyone is trying to shrink their outgoings. If they can do that by using something which is rebuilt off the same source, I'm sure there are plenty of top 100 companies that would happily do that. It's just business. Yeah, but Oracle though. Yeah, I know. I, I feel the same way, but your CEO of your average top 100 company doesn't go, oh, Oracle, just the same mm. as they don't go, oh, Nestle, or yeah. oh, PepsiCo. They don't see the world like that. It's done in terms of dollar signs and shareholder value. Yep. It's not about how good or bad Larry Ellison is. It's it's all about the dollar dollar. We're going to get blacklisted. Communist propaganda. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I agree with you that um, it probably does make sense from a business point of view, but it taints Sousa, as far as I'm concerned, that they're teaming up with Oracle. It just makes them look bad, as far as the community is concerned. And maybe they don't give a shit about the community. I, I would imagine that the uh, top people at OpenSUSE, at least, care a great deal about the community and their image, and have just sort of been blinded by the rage of their reaction to what Red Hat did. and in that sort of, you know, with the, the blinkers on of like, just so mad at Red Hat, well, let's just team up with any anyone who agrees with us. And maybe they'll look back and think, shit, we fucking teamed up with Oracle, man. That was not a good look for us. Well, this is the same company that teamed up with Microsoft. They heart Linux, Poppy. You obviously haven't heard this. They're the <laughs> <Sorry>. greatest. <laughs> so, you know, it, they've got a track record. No, they're different now. They're great. <laughs> We all love them and everything they do. I was being ironic. I, I, you know, I, don't really, I, I don't really care about anything to do with Red Hat, to be honest. Seuss is becoming a bit of a dirty turncoat, though. Look at that. They're, they're like funding the ex-canonical people to have a good stick a knife at, <laughs> at Lex D. And now they're doing this, too. It's like, well, what's next? Huh? Well done. I applaud them. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, we'd better get out of here then. Thank you, Poppy, for joining us. It's been great having you. Thank you. You're welcome. We'll be back next week then with an episode that we've actually already recorded. And so it'll be a couple of weeks before proper normal service returns, but it's summer, everything's up in the air. Anyway, until then, I've been Joe. I've been Phelan. I've been Will. LinuxMatters.sh <laughs> See you later. <laughs>